Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. McGuire joining us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. It's Carriker and Smallman with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. Michelle. We've obviously been so excited for the debut of this documentary here in St. Louis. We've been having guests on our show every day to, to talk about this. And everyone that we've spoken to that had played with you, they want to emphasize what a great teammate you were. And I wonder what that was like for you as such a great teammate, as a team first guy to come in every day and have it be all about you. Not because of what you wanted but because this was the story in baseball and the media and the game was always going to be focused on you so what was that like for you and how did you deal with that on a day-to-day basis michelle that was that was uh if there's anything that was like extremely tough that was it because i mean i think about it you play baseball you don't you don't play it's not golf you know it's not tennis you know it's 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 not one-on-one it, it's a team effort and uh you know i was raised uh, to play this game and to to prepare yourself as an individual but you you win as a team you lose as a team it takes the 25 the 30 40 guys throughout the year to to win um and to be singled out on a daily basis that that, that bothered me it did um you know and, and i think the thing is is like it got to a point where you know, some of the players, they, they, it's like it was sort of a distance when we went away and we were on the road and stuff, you know, because I was getting recognized all the time. And it was just like I had, I was always, I was basically by myself a lot uh, just because I didn't want to uh, be a nuisance to them and to have, to be around them. And then all of a sudden people are coming and then uh, they're they're wanting to talk or autographs or pitchers or whatever it be and and then you know my friends the players it just didn't they they weren't even acknowledged it bothered me um and then at the games you know it's like the nights that i didn't do anything and we won and you know guys had great nights they 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 just sort of shot they didn't even go talk to them you know if they did it was like for a second or two and and they wanted to come talk to me about like why didn't you get a home run? What's going on? It's like, and I was like, I was sort of embarrassed. Um, now it's a tough thing. Yeah, it was really, really tough. But I, I, you know, I really appreciate them saying that stuff because it's, it's the thing is, is like you don't really know, you don't really know at going, especially at that time, what players really think or, or have their feelings about you because you're in that moment and you're, and I'm trying to try to juggle all this stuff that's going on in my life. And trying to accommodate and make sure that you know my teammates um, are getting noticed too, and sometimes they don't. And I, I don't know if they were upset. I don't know if they were, you know, um, I don't know. Just they just didn't care for it. I, I don't know. And then to hear what you said that you've had them on and 
Yeah, it makes me feel good. Well, Thank you. And Mark, I would do those post-game open lines, and then I'd stop by the clubhouse when I was done, and it'd be the clubhouse guys, it'd be Rip, and it'd be Kurt, and they would be telling me what a great guy you were. And you know you were in baseball clubhouses long enough. The clubhouse guys know everything. And they, they told me the story. Yeah, yeah. They do, right? And they know who's a good guy <laughs> yeah, and who, who's not. Yes, they do. So, and, uh, yeah. so, but I, I want to tell the story and you can because you actually did it but after you hit the 50th home run for the third straight season you signed a baseball for every single teammate you talked about being alone but that that's a really thoughtful time-consuming gesture that that tells the story of what a teammate mark mcguire was well thank you yes i did um and i ended up i ended up signing balls for everybody uh um for milestones throughout the whole year and to uh, to be quite honest with you, um, I didn't keep one piece of anything through the '98 season. Wow! My batting gloves, my my shoot, my cleats, um, uniform parts, T-shirts, uh, stuff. I think the only thing I kept was my glove, my bat, my first baseman glove, my hat, my everything. I I gave those with autographs on the specific days and things I did throughout the year to players, coaches, managers, um, you know, whoever it may be, um, you know, uh, front office personnel from other ball clubs. It's just, I wanted them to have uh, that as a memory because I already, the memory is already with me in my mind. So it's like for them to have a piece of that, I thought it was more important than me keeping it. Uh, now, 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 fast forward to having my family now with my my five children. You know, now they're like, Dad, won't you have this stuff? Oh, <laughs> I, like, well, I, go, I just said, I go, well, you guys didn't exist back in those days. You know, I didn't even know your I didn't even know your mother at the time. So, you know, I just you know you can't fast forward that fast. You know, so, but uh, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I, you know I am as a person. It's like. Um, you know, I always think of other people before me. So, Mark, yesterday Sammy was on the air in Chicago, and he was asked about how he would react to people that say, oh, uh, this chase wasn't legitimate. And uh, it's my favorite. 62 is my favorite event that I've ever been at, and I can't retroactively change my emotions. I, I loved it. Right. And I saw the balls, I was there for every game, and I saw the balls go over the fence. So how do you react when somebody says, uh, 98 was great, but I feel differently well, about it now because it wasn't legit? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, come walk in my shoes and tell me it's not legit. So, um, yeah, that's that's crazy. It's just, uh, I mean, it's... it's <laughs> uh, it's, it's, I'm, I'm almost like speechless even to comment on that. It's... Uh, we talked about it before. It's like uh, they have, people are going to make comments like that. They're always going to have these naysayers are going to say things. Um, you know, it's to 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 hit a baseball is the toughest thing to do in sport alone. Uh, to 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 try to break a record like that to set yourself apart from each uh, any anybody in the history of the game as far as a single season home run record uh, to where your mind can go. It's like it's. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty legit. Um, it's it's crazy to think um, that that it's uh, yeah things have happened since then. Yes, okay, I've I've talked about that, but to understand that 
um, where you can go with your mind and you have to hit a baseball, um, nothing, nothing is going to, nothing can do that other than you, yourself, and your eyes and your mind. No doubt. Two more quick things, Mark. Number one, we talked a, a lot about this season. Would you classify that season for you as fun? There was parts, yeah, very fun, yes. There was parts very fun. Um, you know, thinking back now and, and, you know, it's, you know, Randy, it's like, it's, I think the the biggest thing is like, it's like, the thing is about baseball, it's an everyday thing. So it's really the only sport that plays every day. So we get to run into the media and fans at the stadium on an everyday basis. And that's, and that's the thing is like, if, if I, I don't know how I can make it any more funner than, um, than it was because it was, I know it was fun, but yeah, but I, I had to be serious at the time. I couldn't be sitting there going, Oh, I'm just going to just wing it. I just, I'm not that kind of a person built inside. It's like, I, I'm not going to wing anything. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to process it. Um, you know, I, I know what I needed to do mentally. Um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've thought about that. Like, how can I, how can I make this any funner about like just dealing with the media? I, I don't know if there's any other way to do it because we have to, we have to talk to the media and see everybody on an everyday basis. And that's a, tough task to do when they're constantly asking the same questions every day hey, brother so you, where if i was a football player or a basketball player where i had a few days off and i could think about things and get away from it maybe i come in with a you know maybe i should write some jokes or something and get people to start laughing sooner i don't know i don't know you know what i mean here i, I can tell so, you you I, I i decided in april that you had no chance there was an election here in st louis and i'm there you you did hit a home run and i want to talk baseball and some news person says mark how do you feel about a gun law that's going to be voted on here in st louis <laughs> uh, and you, you I, I don't know if you remember that or not but i knew you had no chance no. that season <laughs> he said yeah. come on you're, you're a california resident <laughs> yeah right i got my yeah uh yeah well for a guy I, i'm afraid of guns i'm both things scare me so it's like uh, i i don't that's, that's the thing it's like it's like in, in in it's like to try to 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 do something at that magnitude with today with the social media and you know just the the you know just the the hatred that people do on social media today is just ridiculous and and it's just, uh, you know, I, I just, I've never been on social media. I don't care to ever be on social media. I don't, my kids don't have social media. And it's just like the amount of things that people say today, um, you know, it, the negativity is just outweighs everything. Mm-hmm. Where back then, you know, you, you had to listen to the radio or, or do uh, listen to a TV show or what a read in the paper if somebody is going to be on you today it's just so right there um, and it's unfortunate because that can really deteriorate uh, somebody's uh, feelings about really trying to to be successful and try to take it to another level and whatever they want to be in because of because of what's going on today I and mean, it's just sort of sad you couldn't have said it any better than that. Hey, we, we want to ask you one more question, and it revolves around the 2011 postseason when you were the Cardinal hitting coach. David Freeze stopped by about a month ago and was talking about how Tony was getting ready to bench him. He was struggling, and you uh, 
for lack of a better term, went to bat for David Freeze. Do you remember that? Yeah. What happened? What did he say? He, he, he said say? that he said that Tony wanted to bench him, and you said no. I, he's he's right there. He's ready to go, and yeah. and then he he took off. Well, you know, I it's it's funny because it's like you know, I, as a hitter, I was self taught, so I, I I can see things that I, I think a lot of hitting coaches, especially they hitting coaches, can't see, and and I know that feeling. Um, and, and it, to me, to me, it's not about getting a hit every day. It's about the repetition and where you're putting your body every, every time you're swinging the bat, every time you take a pitch, your work inside the cage before the game, maybe sometimes after the game. And, and when you can see somebody that's, that's online and maybe not getting some hits, you just know it's a, ma- it's a matter of one pitch. It's a matter of one swing. And I and and with David, to me, it was that was it. And and like people were like, "Well, he's struggling." I'm like, "No, he's not." Watch. And it's like I can see those things. And and something that I, I try to instill in my kids today, I said, "It's not about getting a. It's not about getting a hit every day. It's about you having the repetition of that same swing in the same lines that you are going to be. You're ready to go. And it, sometimes it doesn't work out." You have to understand the guy on the mound is getting paid a lot of money to get you out. <laughs> you know he's not going to throw you a cookie every time. You know, and and hitters hitters make a lot of money on pitchers' mistakes. And there's times throughout the the season that pitchers are not going to give you mistakes, and that's just the given. So that being said, when you're doing your work and you watch somebody swing, if they are online and they they might think they're off, and I'm keep telling them they're not. And it's a matter of one pitch, and that's what I saw. And he went off, and, and David just, I mean, historical, historical postseason. Um, and <laughs> on top of it, just one wonderful, great human being. Yeah, and uh, a, a huge, obviously, like you, member of Cardinal history and a, a great member of the Cardinal alumni. Mark, we can't thank you enough for being so generous with your time. We're so looking forward to Sunday night and watching the documentary and reliving 1998, and we're so thrilled that you did it with us here today. Well, I really appreciate it, Randy, Michelle. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, let me give a shout-out to my my uh, father-in-law, Bob. He just he, uh, had knee replacement today, so uh, he... Uh, he was recovering well, and give him a shout-out to him and tell him we miss him out here in California. All right, great. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. All right, take care. Thanks, Mark. Right. Bye-bye. That is the Cardinal Hall of Famer, Mark McGuire. Great to have him with us here on Long Gone Summer Week on 101 ESPN. And we'd like to hear from you. If you have any reaction, you can leave us a mic drop with the 101 ESPN app. It's a Rhino Shield mic drop. Or just text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Long Gone Summer Week on 101 ESPN is brought to you by Tracy Bibb and Allstate Insurance. Text the word quote to 65780 to see how you can save. Michelle and I will come back, react, and... Hopefully you get your reaction to that interview next on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy, we invite you to join us here on 101 ESPN with 
your reflections on the interview that we had with Mark McGuire, maybe on that 98 season. You can use a Rhino Shield mic drop, or you can just text us 65780, the mic drop feature there on the 101 ESPN app. And Michelle, what struck me, and we get this text from the 636, what a genuinely good guy. Great interview, Randy and Michelle, and thank you very much for listening, and thank you very much for the compliment. But it is striking, number one, how happy Mark seems mm-hmm. and is. And by the way, his triplet daughter's just turned 10 last week. Wow. So he, he, And he's got uh, a couple of boys that are playing baseball in California, too. But it, it struck me that he was so generous with all of the memorabilia from that season. That all he had was, he, he kept the glove and the cap, but signing balls for players after every milestone home run, home run and giving away the jerseys and the t-shirts and the spikes and all of that stuff. Just a, a genuinely good person. Absolutely. And when I when I said to him, we've spoken to some of your teammates and they wanted to emphasize what a great teammate you were, that really got to him. You could hear him be like, wow, I'm so glad that they said that because I didn't want it to be all about me, but it was out of my control. I'm paraphrasing, but he clearly didn't you know, want the spotlight to be strictly on him. He wanted to be such a team guy. So to think that in the middle of that incredible chaos of all the things that he had to worry about every single day, that he would still have the the state of mind to say, oh, I'm going to sign these balls for my teammates or I'm going to give this jersey away to one of my teammates so that they can give it to their kids because it might be worth something someday. To be that generous in that moment, I think is really rare to do because most people would just be focused on, oh my gosh, I have to get my body right. I'm so tired. I, ha- I have to watch, you know, worry about the, the pitcher for the next day because I have to go out there and put this on my back and get this done. But that just shows you truly what type of a person he is. And he was not always great with the media and he explained why he was embarrassed by the fact that he was the guy getting all the attention they would win he wouldn't hit a home run and the star of the game wouldn't get interviewed and it wasn't out of disdain for the media it was because he was embarrassed because his teammates weren't getting the attention that he thought they deserved and i'm glad that looking back 22 years he's able to say that he had fun me too i I don't know how that could have been fun for him because, like I said in the interview, the pressure to me seems like it would be overwhelming. But I'm glad that because he was able to get to 70 and because he was able to break the record and, you know, knowing how much joy it brought other people that think think about that. How much joy did he bring to so many people? So I'm glad that it brought him some joy, too, because he deserves that. A couple of texts to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Randy, if it's a level playing field, it isn't cheating. Everyone was taking PEDs, but I do think a lot of amateur baseball players that weren't pumped up got shafted because GMs and scouts and chicks were digging the long ball. (laughs) If Big Mac was the only one taking them, then yes, he was a cheater. But 90% of his peers were doing it. And I thought that for a long time. Number one, Ken Caminiti said 80% of guys were taking steroids. And I do think that relatively speaking, for the most part, not 100%, but for the most part, it was a level playing field. Pitchers and hitters alike. And the other point that I've made with you is that at that time, they weren't against the rules. Now, was it uh, for many of the steroids that he's alleged to have used? Was it a a legal issue? Yes. Mm -hmm. But for 
like Andro. Andro was being sold right. at GNC stores. Creighton too, right? Yeah. So, and, and I think a lot of players openly started talking about that, the fact that they were lifting weights and bulking up and taking these supplements to help that process along. So while I think it was kind of a new wave thing for a lot of people, it wasn't. You could buy it at GNC, like you said. Yeah. It was over-the-counter stuff. I mean, you could purchase it at a store. Uh, this is from another Cardinal fan in the 314. Thanks so much for having Mark on. I don't care what people say. He brought so much happiness that year to me personally and all of St. Louis. It's great to hear him so happy as we all were. Magical glitter. And I, I said to him, and I'll, I'll say to you, and I'll always say this, I can't retroactively change my emotions. And that was a... I had so much glee that summer because I had mm-hmm. never seen a guy hit a... Heck, I think the most home runs I'd ever seen a Cardinal hit was like 30 or 31. I... Maybe Ron Gant in 96 hit 30, but Cardinal players didn't hit home runs. Johnny Mize in the 40s hit it, or in the, yeah, in the 40s hit it 43. That was the record. So to see our guy mm-hmm. not only breaking the Cardinal record, but shattering the overall record and all of us thinking that it was going to happen, that was, it was a fun summer. It's a storybook. It's, the Cardinals and the Cubs, it's its that that rivalry and the two guys that are chasing this record and chasing history are wearing those two uniforms. And it's at a time when baseball needed something like that. And it's two guys that got along and that understood the magnitude of this. I think that that's not talked about enough, that they understood, hey, we need to get to the podium. We need to, the fans are here to see this. We need to give them a show. And the fact that they respected each other and that they, they liked each other and that they were willing to recognize that they were in this together I thought was really cool and yeah did the PEDs thing certainly tarnish it a little a little bit but to your point Randy it brought baseball back it brought so many people joy and I think for some things in life you need to just appreciate it for what it was like when you look back at the greatest show on turf and the tackle and that Super Bowl knowing what we know now about the Rams and how they broke our hearts that doesn't lessen the joy we felt watching that team and that game and that offense no if I'm going to list my top five moments actually if I'm going to list my top three moments of games that I have been at because I wasn't at game seven uh, I'll do my top five. One of them was with you last year when we watched the Blues beat San Jose. But the tackle, the Tampa Bay NFC Championship game, the uh, McGuire 62, those would be four, and then maybe the PGA. That that might yeah. be the five that I was at that I that had the biggest impact. Well, I got to throw the Aussie home run in there. I think I <laughs> put the Aussie home run ahead of the the PGA, but. Either way, number 62 is in there sure. as one of my top five all time. I mean, think about all those things we're able to rattle off. And we we didn't even mention Pat Maroon, David Freeze. That's incredible. All of these. We are so lucky as St. Louisans, as St. Louis sports fans, to think of all of the magical moments that we've been able to witness. And the Mark McGuire home runs are on that list for me. You can't take it away. I, I just feel very lucky that it happened in our backyard. And we do appreciate you. Uh, sticking around for that interview. Mark was fun. Thanks for his generosity with his time. And once again, you'll be able to see the the entire documentary on Sunday night on ESPN. It's called Long Gone Summer. Next up, a big anniversary for Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from The Athletic, who joins us next on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. 
this note from Freeze Pops, and it's actually from the, the great website, St. Louis Blues History, that 15 years ago today, Jeremy Rutherford wrote his first story as the beat writer for the St. Louis Blues. In the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, it was about the Blues reducing season ticket prices, and uh, club seats went from $83 a game to $79 a game. Our Blues insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford, is with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. JR, great to have you with us. Do you remember that story? Good to be here, and I do. Yeah, I actually do. I thought I was going to be covering hockey, and uh, all of a sudden I'm breaking down the math of the season ticket prices uh, with the first story. And I think that was uh, should have been my second story. There should have been a story uh, that I wrote before that one, uh, but what happened was one day after they gave me the Blues beat, they said, you're going to be the St. Louis Blues beat writer for the Post-Dispatch. I was extremely honored, excited, the team I grew up watching. And I was playing golf shortly thereafter, and I get a phone call, and the Post-Dispatch tells me, hey, listen, we just wanted to let you know that uh, the Blues are going to be put up for sale. Bernie Miklas has the scoop. He will have the story in the post-dispatch tomorrow, and I said, I'm not going to have this job for long <laughs> if I keep dropping the ball like that and, and Bernie's get all the scoops. So uh, luckily it worked out, but uh, yeah, it only seems like 15 years ago. <laughs> Jared, do you remember what your first big scoop was? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I do remember the night that uh, Chris Pronger got traded. That was shortly after getting on the beat also. And uh, it wasn't necessarily a scoop because I think the Blues put it out. But I do remember that uh, Derek Gould had done such a great job of, of covering the Blues for so long and, and uh, had a relationship with all the players that the deadline was about 1030 at night. And I was writing the news that they traded him to Edmonton and here's who they're getting back. And uh, Derek called Chris Pronger and had a conversation with him. And then he's emailing me the quotes and I'm trying to weave them into the story uh, right on deadline. So uh, that's one night I'll never forget. That's amazing. And that that was what a uh, crushing story that had to be as a Blues fan for you and how devastating it was for Blues fans, because that was when we knew that Bill Laurie was disassembling the team. We we knew that it was for sale, but we didn't know that he was going to tear it down to it, its studs. Yeah. And the absolute worst was, you know, here they think they're doing a good thing uh, with the, uh, the, paper, the company that was selling the team uh, to trade Chris Pronger and clear that big number off the books and i'll never forget that when dave check got in the picture and at the time we didn't know he was a buffoon uh that uh he he and john davidson came out and said we would have wanted chris pronger we would have paid the number we wish that he were here and in fact they tried to go get him uh, a couple years later and make a trade to bring him back to st louis so uh just so odd that uh, the previous ownership wanted to clear the books and in fact the incoming ownership would have welcomed chris pronger and uh, let's go sunshine lollipops here jr <laughs> Okay, Pronger for Brewer, Brewer to Tampa for a third-round choice that we've used for? Jordan Bennington. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that worked out okay? Worked out okay, and shoot, that goes all the way back, what, to uh, the Stevens. Brendan Shanahan? Yeah. yeah, Scott Stevens, yeah. Yeah, so uh, just remarkable how that worked out for years and years and years. That did not look like a, a good transaction, but it paid off yeah, eventually. Just to uh, lay it out for people, the Blue Sign Scott Stevens is a free agent. They give up five number ones for him. He is awarded to New Jersey when the Blues signed Brendan Shanahan as a free agent. Then Shanahan for Pronger, Pronger for, among others, Eric Brewer, Brewer for the number three, and then the number three on Bennington. So there you go. 
See, you Worked see, out okay. Yeah, sometimes you just need to put the <laughs> wheels in motion, right? Uh, speaking of Jordan Bennington, JR, at what point last season did you think, okay, Jordan Bennington is going to be the lockdown goalie for the St. Louis Blues? After he made his debut, at what point did you think, okay, wow, this, he could really be the guy this season? It was probably when he picked up his fourth or fifth shutout in about 18 games. You know, we, we, we've just seen so many young goaltenders get their chance in the league and come out on fire. And, uh, you know, could it be just the adrenaline's flowing? Could it be that uh, other teams just don't have a book on a young guy yet? You know, they, they don't know uh, what to study. Uh, but I think the saves that he was making and the confidence that he was giving this team, and what you saw was uh, this Blues team that had so much talent and was considered a cup contender uh, going into the season, they just started to do what they were responsible for doing instead of getting back and trying to stop every puck. So so you're not, you're not talking about seeing the forwards and the defensemen cheat and join the rush and, and take chances, but they're able to just get in the flow uh, offensively, and that was because of the saves that he was making uh, back there. So, you know, I think once you got to that point, you're thinking, okay, well, this is more than just a, a hot start, and, and this guy has a legit, legitimate chance. Uh, to keep this going. Jer, one year ago today, the Blues got on a plane for Boston to play Game 7 on the 12th. When you got on the plane that you got on, how were you feeling about the Blues' chances for Game 7? Well, first of all, I was telling my daughter, I'm sorry I'm going to miss your birthday, but I'm going to Game 7 uh, for the Stanley Cup. But uh, I think, uh, you know, you thought that they had a, a really good shot because they had played so well on the road. And, hey, I'm going to give you a sneak peek preview to my article uh, tomorrow. I'm going to give you one quick story. Uh, I called as many Blues from that Stanley Cup roster as possible the past couple weeks and, and asked them to give me one untold story from Game 7, the day of Game 7, uh, and, and I'm going to have that tomorrow at The Athletic, and awesome. I'll, give you one sto- I'll give you one story. Jake Allen told me a couple days ago, he goes, night before Game 7, we're in Boston. You think we're going to get a healthy dinner and go to bed early about 8.30, right? And I said, yeah. And he goes, they have a team suite at the top of the hotel where we all went. And I want to say that when I looked at the clock, I looked around the team suite, and we were all drinking wine, drinking beers, eating ice cream, and it was 10.30 at night, the night before Game 7. He goes, I finally went to bed at 11 o'clock. I looked up at the ceiling, and I said, this team is going to win Game 7. We are so relaxed and so confident. And that's one story I had never heard of, and so there's a lot more where that came from in tomorrow's story with the untold stories. Jared, that's an incredible story because I think collectively most people here in St. Louis couldn't sleep the night before. We couldn't eat. We were so <laughs> nauseous. We were so nervous. And to think that those guys hopped on the plane and then they're drinking wine and, and ice cream and kicking it until 11 p.m. does show you how relaxed they were and how confident they were in themselves. But, I mean, they proved it when they when they took the ice in Game 7. They were ready to go. So I guess if anybody out there has a presentation or something big going on, drink some wine and have some ice cream the night before. Kind of a weird combination. <laughs> no, it's yeah. two amazing things. It's kind Kind of like, you know, you wouldn't think affogato, espresso, and ice cream would go together. Wine and ice cream, great mix. Okay. So, sounds like somebody that's doing, uh, speaking from experience here. Yeah, a few times. <laughs> I just think it's pretty remarkable that I was doing the exact same thing that the Blues were doing the, the night before Game 7. <laughs> that is amazing. Hey, uh, JR, we, we've talked a lot about the Blues getting started, and they, they are giving the players ownership of this team. And we had Army on earlier in the week, and he talked about how much he trusts this group of players. That's kind of a rare commodity in any sport, isn't it? That the the management of the team gives the players as much ownership and leeway as the Blues players get. 
It is, and and that's one of uh, Army's great qualities. And that's not to say that uh, you know he's not in control behind the scenes of a lot of things. He has to be. That's that's his job. But he and I think going back to Ken Hitchcock, I heard that a lot from Hitch over the years. Is, is that you you have to give that to the team. You have to allow them to police themselves because when they put they get put into uh, certain situations where they're facing uh, the adversity, you, you have to leave it up to them to find a way uh, to get out of it. So, uh, you know, in this situation, when you're talking about phase two beginning this past Monday and uh, teams allowed to go to the practice facility and, and the Blues are one of several that have decided to put that off and wait a little bit, you know, that's a little bit Army talking to uh, Alex Petrangelo, the captain, and I talked to Alex about that yesterday, uh, where he said, hey, look, training camp, even if it starts on time, is July 10th. That's three weeks away. We've played a lot of hockey in the last couple of years, and this break is good for us. So they talked it out, and Army was uh, willing to let them uh, push that date back when they're going to show up at uh, Centene. So, you know, that's one of the many examples I think we've seen where uh, they've given this team, these players, these leaders, uh, a lot of leeway. Hearing you say that, JR, gives me a little bit of relief because I'm seeing all these tweets about different teams and confirmed players that have showed up to the arena to participate in the skate for Phase 2. And while I respect the Blues' decision to take their time and to give the responsibility to players, part of me as a fan was thinking, man, the, the sooner these guys get back on the ice and they're skating and the sooner they're skating together and start to get that chemistry put back in place, the better position they're putting in their themselves in for when hockey does resume. Yeah, a couple of things. One thing, uh, there's just so much protocol involved in, in reporting to the, the team rink that I think they're probably getting more done and what they want to get done wherever they are, whether it be back in Toronto. And, and I know a few guys here in St. Louis uh, are skating, uh, but there's just so many restrictions on, on what they can do. And the other thing is, Michelle, you know, I don't think that this team necessarily needs to be together to, to get that chemistry going. Now, granted, it has been, you know, three plus months, but I think that's the one advantage that this team has that we've talked about for a while now is that the, they're just so professional, experienced, they've dealt with so much adversity. You know, I think when I talked to uh, Alex Petrangelo yesterday, he said, look, we need probably a week to get over the, the weirdness of it. it's been so long, and then you probably need another week and a half, two weeks uh, to get up to speed. So we don't need to be on the ice you know, for a month plus uh, before training camp starts. So I think that's where they're coming from. They feel like when they see each other, uh, they're going to be able to act like it's uh, March 12th, the day after they were together last. And JR, one of the things, uh, when is your daughter's birthday? Uh, tomorrow. Uh, Michelle and I would be glad to sing happy birthday to her. What's her name? Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, Georgia. Georgia, here we go. Ready? Oh, wait, one. Randy, I cannot say. Yes, I cannot do that to one, the people. One, two, no. three. Uh -huh. Happy birthday mm -hmm. to you. Happy mm -hmm. birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Georgia. Happy birthday to you. Oh, that's absolutely terrific. And uh, I Tell think I, I told you this before. I think I've told you this before, but I just say real quickly, when I got on that plane and left for Boston, she said, Daddy, can you bring me the phone and cut back? Oh. oh, perfect. And you did. <laughs> Way to go, JR. Did anything there, but. <laughs> uh, you're, you're a great dad. Thank you, brother. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. See you. That is our friend Jeremy Rutherford. He is our Blues Insider from The Athletic on 101 ESPN. Can you imagine? You missed your daughter's birthday, and then if they didn't win the cup? Oh, that would have been bad. Whew. When did you stop singing happy birthday to people? No, I just don't sing, period. I'm, I'm a terrible singer, right? So terrible. Like, even to your parents, you don't sing happy birthday? No, I'm the person that stands in the back, and I lip sync it. Okay. What if there's only, like, three of you in the room, and one is singing to, like, dad singing to mom, mom singing to dad, and then there's Michelle? 
Randy, I'm like Buddy the Elf. I bring down the group a whole octave. You can't, no. <laughs> you probably sound like Beverly Sills. Have you ever seen my best friend's wedding? I am Cameron Diaz when okay. I take the mic. Okay, I saw that the other day. It's a great movie, but I am a bad singer. Bad. Favorite scene from that? I, I like when they have the, the lobster claws waving yes, back and forth. Yes, very good. In the restaurant. Oh, there's so many good scenes from that movie. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think the karaoke scene's up there. Pretty good. And uh, plenty of sports in there. He's the fact that the guy's a sports writer. Yeah. It's a good thing. Yeah. Coming up, Michelle and I are going to cross things over with Danny Mac. Scoops with Danny Mac is coming up at the top of the hour, and we'll talk to Dan next on 101 ESPN. with Danny Mac is coming up at the top of the hour and Dan McLaughlin is here in studio with us on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Great interview with Big Mac. Thank you. And uh, I I know that you, uh, especially once he became the Cardinals hitting coach for three years, uh, you developed a relationship with him and he is a much happier and a much more loose person than he was as a player. And there, there was a tremendous amount of pressure on him as a player. And it, I think it was probably, well, he, he told us it was difficult. He was alone all the time, and he, he had to deal with a lot of outside things like his pl- teammates not getting attention when the team w- would win. Yeah, and, and he didn't like that. I mean, he did not want to be the focal point, but yet he was. And you could make the case he was the biggest athlete, literally the biggest athlete, <laughs> but also figuratively in 98-99 on the planet. I mean, Jordan had retired, um, as we all know. He, his great run was done, and the, the the sports world was fixated on that home run chase, and he was Paul Bunyan. And I remember I started doing games in 98, 99, and I remember we would be traveling, and um, especially in 99, he would have to go to the back entrance of hotels. And I mean, this is 4 in the morning, and people are, are lined up to see him, to get an autograph, to get a picture. Whatever, and it was just constant, and that's no way for a human being to live. I'm sure it was uncomfortable for a guy that is fairly introverted anyway, Um, and I think he's at peace with everything because he came out and told the truth, and there's nothing you can hold over him. You know, I told the story yesterday on the air that in spring training of, I guess, what was his first year as the hitting coach, 10 or 11? Yeah, so 10, he would pop his head into the media and, and say, does anybody need me? I'm here. It's spring training. I mean, and everybody had done a story from the Palm Beach Post to the stood, the guys in California to obviously St. Louis and all the national guys. And it wasn't just like a one press conference one-off. He was doing one-on-ones for hours with writers. Hours. And so by the time that ended, it was over. You know, it's like, what else do you want? He's done. He's he's done his mea culpa. It's over. Move on. And I think he was at a good place in his life and obviously is now. Both of you have experienced so many great moments in Cardinal history. And you've been there and you understand the excitement level of all this. What can you compare this to as far as the way that the fans were into it, the way that the media descended from all over the country, all over the world onto Bush Stadium for these these games? What was that like? Is there anything that you can compare it to? 
For me, no, um, because you, you just hit the nail on the head. There was media from everywhere in the world. Like, it was cool seeing the Blues, and it's been cool being a part of watching a Cardinal team go through a World Series. But as far as one individual with everybody watching him, I mean, there was Japanese media. They were in Korea. There was people from Europe that didn't know a thing about baseball. There was everybody in North America covering this guy. Satellite trucks up and down Bush Stadium. I mean, it was incredible to see uh, the attention that was put on that race. So for me, no. And you hit the nail on the head with it being one guy and it being anticipation because we're. this is something that we waited for for 10 months from the end of 97 until we got to 98, 98. We anticipated that this was going to happen. With a greatest show on turf, there's no way you could have anticipated that that was going to happen. Or uh, with the, the 85 Cardinals or even the 04 Cardinals that were so good, Nobody expected them to be that good when no. the season started. But this was something that we looked forward to for literally 10 months when we got to that date. And then finally it happened. So I, I think it really is an incomparable moment. I remember when he was going for 500 against the Padres mm-hmm. and Tony Gwynn was going for hit number 3,000 in the same game, the same night. And the buzz and the anticipation of that game I'll never forget that that was a cool moment, too, that was associated with McGuire that sometimes gets overlooked because at that time, 500 home runs was your ticket into Cooperstown Mm -hmm. and 3000 still is your ticket into Cooperstown. And Tony Gwynn had always said St. Louis is the best baseball city. He had a remarkable relationship over the years with Stan the Man. Those two became very close. I I just thought it was it was like Hollywood. You know, here we go again. It's going to be a neat. I got goosebumps thinking about it. A neat um, setting for this to happen. And unfortunately, Tony didn't get it. He got it up in Montreal, yeah. and Big Mac got his off of Andy Ashby, I believe, 500. But that was that was pretty cool, too. Yeah, th- that was a great night. I remember there were multiple times, because the Padres would only come in once a year, and there were multiple times, of, I guess two over the years, where you would walk in, and I know you saw this too, Dan, and Tony Gwynn, so the big stars on other teams usually sign balls. I would walk in, and Tony Gwynn was maybe 5'10", and there would be a stack of dozens of baseballs. So you got, well, it's as tall as him. It's five foot ten, <laughs> six foot, a uh, six foot tall uh, stack of d- a dozen boxes of baseballs each. And he was signing all of them. I, the thing that was amazing for me with Tony Gwynn, um, I was asked to do an interview on sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. It was like, all right, now I get to do an interview. I'm going to try to get the best guy I can. And hey, Tony Gwynn's in town. I'm going to do that. I waited after a game and he was so. So nice and so accommodating, and it was genuine. And he said, "Dan," and he remembered my name. Yeah, that's wow. amazing. Isn't he remembered it? my he name did that from, for me too. From yeah. the beginning of the game, I went up to him in batting practice. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Find me after the game. Great, okay. And he was sitting there studying video on VHS tapes with his brother. And he was one of the first guys, if not the first, to do yeah, that. Yes. And he was studying his swing. You know, he was looking, and his wife used to. And later I got to be, not I don't want to say friends, but good acquaintances with Tony because he was broadcasting. So I got to be around him a little bit. And Matt Vaskersian introduced me and they were doing the Padre games together and it was wonderful. And I told him that story and he said, well, thank you. You know, I appreciate that you, you know, remember that. I said, I do remember that because you remember people that treat you well and you treated me well. But the thing I remember about it, he gave me great stuff in the interview talking about staying the man and hitting, which was, and you could tell he wanted to talk baseball. But just seeing him study video 
And no one was doing that at that time. And he was one of the first to do it. Now you cannot walk into a clubhouse without a guy right. with an iPad or in the video room or on the bus or wherever looking at a game and looking at what they do. He would carry or not carry. He, he had a giant rolling That's suitcase right. with all of his video equipment that he would take back to the hotel. That's right. And watch tape. Uh, one other note, and I don't know if you were aware of this, and McGuire talked about it at the end of our interview, is how Tony wanted to bench freeze down the stretch in 11 no, freeze was well. going really bad yeah and and so he actually tony was driving down highway 40 to do the game that that you know to manage the game and his he always would have a lineup in my i mean i've been out to dinner with tony and he writes down a lineup on a napkin and puts it in his pocket <laughs> literally that's how he does it sometimes he'll he'll do those kind of things so he had a an idea that he was going to take him out of the lineup and i actually talked to david freeze about this i guess two or three weeks ago and Tony, I've talked about uh, openly in a, in a forum. And so he said, yeah, he was out of the lineup. We were going to go with Descalso or we were looking at some different combinations. But Freeze looked lost. And a lot of it was the, the front leg getting down and his timing. And that was the home run that night that he hit off of Roy Oswald of the Phillies. And Big Mac was the one that convinced him and said, no, 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 no. Do not take him out of the lineup. He's so close, Tony. I, I, I'm telling you, he's close. And I think in his first at bat, if memory serves correct, he got carved up or something like that and then hits a home run. And the rest is history. He mm-hmm. takes off against the, the Brewers, takes off against the, the Rangers, becomes the MVP of both. And the rest is history. But without McGuire there to tell Tony, do not do it. Um, that doesn't happen. And I give Tony a lot of credit. Here's a guy that's managed, what, the second most games in the history of baseball? Mm-hmm. And to Connie Mack. To Connie Mack, who that's owned the team, by the way. Fight question yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so wait, if you own the team, you're not going to fire yourself. <laughs> right. So, um, But anyway, to have the trust of your coaching staff and the trust of this guy to say, okay, I'm leaving, you know, hey, mm-hmm. it's not like it's on you, but hey, I, I trust you and we're going to go this way. Pretty, pretty cool stuff. And Michelle made a great point during the break. Uh, we had talked to Walt Jockety about acquiring McGuire. And I said to Randy, isn't it amazing to look back in time and think about that moment and everything that happened since then? He goes out, he gets Mark McGuire, he brings him here. Mark McGuire goes on this magical run. He he breaks Change the record. Changes the franchise. Changes the franchise. But when we think about two of the biggest home runs in Cardinal history, Game 6, David Freeze, McGuire 62, and how if Walt Jockety doesn't go out and get McGuire to come to St. Louis, none of this ever happens. None of it happens because um, if you really want to tie that in, and this is like seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, but you know, if you don't get Mag- if you don't get McGuire, you don't get Edmonds. Edmonds turned into David Freeze. Oh, yep. wow. So think about yeah. it that way yeah. too. Um, that's the interesting thing about the uh, the Freeze deal. That was not supposed to happen. Jim Edmonds was traded to the Chicago White Sox and hmm. turned it down, and then came back and said, "No, I need to be on a West Coast team." And they said, "All right, fine." Wherever we're taking, wherever we go with this, you have to take it. And so they found a young man that they did like. It wasn't just the throw-in, and that was David Freeze. And he was sitting in a Burger King parking lot, I believe, when he got the phone call Thank that he'd been dealt. Yeah, I think he initially put it into voicemail and then like hung up on it too because he didn't <laughs> believe it. And then all of a sudden, it turned out to be, you know, one of the great deals ever. And the thing was too. Remember, at the time, there was a young third baseman, which people forget. 
named Alan Craig. Mm-hmm. And so Craig and Freeze actually were about on the same level. Freeze was at uh, single A with the Padres, and the Cardinals brought him here and jumped him up to triple A because they didn't want to have him blocked by Craig or vice versa. So they figured, well, I'll just keep both of them going, and both wind up being you know major parts of that 2011 World Series. Wow. Yeah. What are you going to talk about on Scoops with Danny Mac? Golf. I like Love golf. It. And so we have golf coming back. It's going to be weird. I just watched Phil Mickelson tee off at the Charles Schwab. So Jay Delsing will be my guest. Love um it. Talk a little bit about uh, what's going on with baseball again and MLS. You know, MLS is setting the stage for what other sports are going to have to do. So we're going to get into that, too, as we move forward to the uh, 10 o'clock hour. You're the king. Looking forward to the show. Thank you. Love it. Thanks, guys. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.